Welcome to the Enterprise Excellence Podcast, where our purpose is to help create a better future. Learn from our world's experts how to improve your organization sustainably. Learn how to achieve and sustain an excellence journey for yourself, others, and the planet. I'm your host, Brad Jennings, coming to you from Brisbane, Australia. Welcome to episode 10 of the Enterprise Excellence Podcast. I have with me today, Mr. Bob Simpson, a leader of business improvement and cultures of excellence across a wide range of industries. Bob is currently a defense business advisor in Australia, helping suppliers of defense improve and grow. Bob has led a career focused on helping people at all levels of organizations find purpose, build teamwork and culture, and improve to create a better future for themselves and others. Let's get into the episode. Welcome to the podcast, Bob. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks, Brad. So everyone, Bob Simpson's a mentor of mine, and I'm so pleased to have him here with me today. Bob's been a leader of many interesting industries, leader in Australian defence industry, big steel plants, food production, petroleum, in-flight technology, packaging. Furniture. Furniture. (laughs) And Bob's here to talk to us today about how to create unity in, in a team to achieve excellence. And I want to start with a really interesting topic. Like if I said to you, the listeners, that there is a vehicle out there that's been designed and used in some of the harshest conflicts we've had in the world over the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. This vehicle, last time we knew, saved over 500 lives. No soldier has died in this vehicle, even though it has been through many harsh situations. And this vehicle, I'd pose to you, created strong unity within teams, a very strong just cause. And Bo, I know you were involved with that vehicle at a time in your career when you were a general manager in Australian defence industries. Do you mind just starting a little bit of background on that vehicle? Well, the vehicle um, was... uh, Its roots were born out of uh, protecting lives and resisting uh, blasts uh, from IEDs, basically. Mm. So... um, that was looking forward in time that was going to be a typical threat that uh, the military were going to endure and needed a countermeasure for so um, so it was a long uh, design period and I came to that story right at the very end of that where where the vehicle was going through very exhaustive testing and it was really wearing the the team out the engineering team and the production team out Um, and uh, and so uh, people were committed to this building this vehicle, yeah. but, um, but it was a tough grind for, for everybody. Yeah. How many years ago was that, Bob? Because we're talking about the Bushmaster, aren't we? The Australian... Talking about the Bushmaster vehicle, yes, and um, um, that would, would be t- over 10 years ago now, yeah. Wow. But Bob, what did you see it evolve into, even though the vehicle was tough out of the gate to get designed and built because you're trying to build something that would withstand all sorts of blasts all sorts of impacts you know what's what's been that track record and what sort of passion has it built in the teams that are you know even to today involved in maintaining and servicing that vehicle Mm. well it uh, it took an event where even before the vehicle was formally introduced into service uh, the conflict in East Timor came, came along and uh, there was a need for that, that vehicle type, so two uh, vehicles were um, uh, sent to, to East Timor to assist with the operations over there. And 
following up from that, the the people that used that in the armed services were absolutely ecstatic about about its performance, mm. and that was the start of a total turnaround and and general acceptance of the vehicle with the defence forces. Yeah, wow. And I, I know myself, I was fortunate to be out on site at the maintenance site for that vehicle six months ago. And the people there still talk with revere about no troopers, soldiers died in this vehicle. And, the, and a lot of the ex-soldiers work on the vehicle. You know, they come back from conflict yep. and actually join in to actually maintain and keep this vehicle running that they know has saved their mates' lives. It's an amazing story of unity an amazing story of having a just cause that creates that unity. That brings uh, an interesting fact about that um, uh, the phases that uh, product development goes through. So um, building the, the vehicle being accepted then there was a uh, of course you go into initial production and then full rate production and that change and that grind uh, with people again was is a tough process to go through. So it wasn't the just cause that we chose uh, wasn't, hey, we're making a great vehicle. To get people uh, aligned, it was, hey, we're saving lives. And that has ensued to the present day to, uh, is the one thing that most people touching the vehicle in is through life support and it's still its manufacture. The one thing that binds them all together is we're saving lives. It's amazing. So, Bob, in your career, in your life, where did this all start for you this understanding that team unity and creating that team unity is so important to everything in relation to excellence. I think it, uh, it started, if I reflect on that, with my life uh, started with um, a lot of, lot of change. It was mm. born in the country town of New South Wales and about three years of age uh, we moved to another small country town in Moree, yeah. another three years later another country town of Cessnock, another three years later to uh, Hay in Outback, New South Wales and, and eventually to Goulburn where I could I made it to high school there and then under my own auspices moved to, to Wollongong. Um, so my life has been characterised by this constant change, which of course I thought was normal. And the country towns, everybody is so friendly and, and accepting, and you just think that's the way things are. So that's what I took to the workplace, basically, was, was that expectation. That you've just got this innate unity where everyone wants to know and care for each other. Yeah. Uh, so uh, when it wasn't that that way well um, when I eventually took over some leadership roles uh, and there was this adversarial um, context to, to that that really surprised me but um, my openness and willing to support and and, and help uh, overcame that but um, after a series of some jobs it was uh, I wondered why this adversarial um, context was there in relationships in, in the workplace because it was so prevalent. Isn't that amazing? So your, your upbringing in the country, in country towns of Australia, taught you this cultural element of bond and unity and looking out for each other. Then you've gone and worked and started your career and you saw the us and them cultures that often exist and you were just dumbfounded as to why is this happening. And of, yeah. co of course, I'm guessing that your career was then about how do I break this and get it back to unity? It was, and um, uh, I was fortunate enough to, in my development, being looked after by the company I worked for, 
to go to a uh, the Graduate School of Management uh, for an executive leadership program. Mm. And at the conclusion of that, I did ask two of the professors, to, and they had a question time, uh, why I could build trust, have great relationships with people only for a union organiser that they might see once a year, could step into that place and totally have those people in the palm of his hand, and all the work we'd done together beforehand seemed to count for nothing mm. right there and then. Uh, as it still perplexed me. Um, so at that point, I was, was made aware of um, the human aspect of um, expectations in roles and sort of blind obedience to um, authority-type figures. Mm. And uh, so I went away and, and, and studied just reading a few books uh, to become more aware of, of what that actually looked like and what that was in the workplace so I could develop my own countermeasures to that. Wow. What workplace were you in at that time, Bob? Like what role were you in? And I was in a general manager's role with Australian Defence Industries and that role was responsible for the, the production of, of a large percentage of all the ammunition that the Defence Forces used. Wow, okay. So you, you're in that general management position in Australian Defence Industries. You had a lot of union activity when you first got in there. You were going through a course that actually gave you some insight further to human behaviour. Like, how did you how did you then take that back to the workforce and actually create unity within Australian defence industries and that side of Benalla, wasn't it? Yes. So, key to that understanding was that there are formal leaders in the workplace, part of the organisational structure, and there are informal leaders and people in roles that have expectations of them. So it was to work out personally who all those, those people were and then focus the relationship and what their role was also at work and change those expectations to be consistent, to be supportive of everybody at work and the work role. Um, and that's not done overnight by no. any strength. So that's that's uh, a work, you know, something you constantly have to work at. But I can say it was very effective. And even though um, I'd, I had moved on, you know, in uh, over over ten years ago, I can still on LinkedIn get a, get a call from what I thought was when I first was there was the most adversarial union delegate that, that will set foot on the earth and he now would see me as somewhat of a friend. Wow. So, um, how, so how did you go about it, Bob? How did you go about that turnaround of that site to create that unity? I think it's you've got to embrace the, those people and, and subtly talk about, uh, get to know them, uh, talk about their role and, and how uh, they will all agree about how important the, the work is that, that we were doing. Let's talk about how people will depend on them for support as well, and that I recognise that, and they've got my support too. And and over time, just con constantly working on that that angle, um, those values that they develop themselves through through that work differ then sometimes from the expectation of the union organiser that comes in that says you can't, you know, the managers here are all bums and um, you know they're only out to rip you off mm. and, to, and to if you do something wrong they're only about to punish you mm. um, and when they then say well you know that hasn't happened here and um, they don't punish because I'm supporting these guys that might have done the wrong thing I'm involved in that process so 
inadvertently that organiser now is criticising the delegate. Yeah, gotcha. So it was okay. Um, uh, no, we don't. We don't. We don't want that. You're now the outsider, Mister mm. Delegate, Mister Organiser. Um, we can look after ourselves here quite well, thanks. Wow. So you just you really shifted the culture to put innate attention and care into those frontline employees or the employees of the organisation yeah. to show them that you're not there to punish them or to really come down hard on them, but to more help them and help them grow and achieve. Yeah, and uh, when they could see, and it was typically industrial uh, rhetoric at that time, that if someone did something wrong, you know, it's three strikes and you're out, so mm. it's all about punishment. But um, that can still be there in the background, but basically if someone does, does something wrong, it's understanding why. Mm. Uh, try to support them to go from where they're at to where you want them to be. Uh, pass some responsibility on to say, well, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. And by the way, if you do that, we'll help you just uh, along the way. When, and your union delegate will also help yes. you along the way. You create that teamwork well. with the union. Yeah. So I'll help him and we'll both help you. Uh, but this is, where we want, this is where you are and this is where we want, want you yeah. to be. And once again, Benalla's in the country. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I was speaking a language that they, they were familiar with there too. You'd come home. Yeah. Back to the country. <laughs> so, Bob, I know when we were talking prior to the podcast, you mentioned that you did use a just cause to also help create that unity yep. at that site. Do you mind explaining how that just cause came about and the language that you used to explain that? Well, once again, it's very easy in manufacturing just to say, hey, we make, we make bullets, we, make, we might make the best bullets or we make the best bombs or, or we make the best grenades and that sort of stuff. But uh, basically, we change that to say, well, you know, our, our role is very much uh, to support the armed forces because if uh, that bullet doesn't work, then the rifle is only as good as a stick. Mm. And, uh, and that seemed, once again, in the, in the country workforce to, to resonate with them, to say, hey, if um, those bullets on the, on the jet fighter don't come out of the gun, you know, well, the jet fighter's only good for joy flights. Mm. And same for a naval vessel, you know, if, uh, if, if um, its guns don't work because the ammunition's jammed up in the barrel or something like that, well, it's good for cruising. Yeah. So the, uh, the effect of, of what we did to the defence of the nation was what we, were, what we were playing at there. It wasn't make bullets, hey, we're part of defending the nation. We're part of the Air Force working, the Navy working and the Army working. And that was a key delineator, wasn't it, that you mentioned, is that the Australian forces is not the Australian attack forces, no. it's the Australian defence forces. That's correct, yeah. So... Um, it's a hard thing to step into a munitions factory and see that everything that's designed and done there has a purpose, and that's to kill humans. Mm. So um, the, uh, if you don't do anything about that, that's how people will perceive it. Mm. So we did spend some time uh, after I recognised that this was playing on a lot of people's minds, and I was helped out with the people from the Department of Defence to say, hey... Um, we might be making all this stuff, but uh, part of defence is that if you've threatened and someone wants to hit you and you say, hang on a second, before you hit me, be aware that I'm pretty well armed as well and, uh, and I will respond and hurt you back, mm -hmm. that that changes the, 
the context altogether and, and uh, that aggressor may not hit you at all and that's why it's the Department of Defence. And as simple as that may sound, that resonated with uh, all the workforce as well, that, um, that we were part of the defence of the nation, not attacking others. Yeah, it's amazing. And it sounds to me, Bob, like you, you must have taken an approach of high communication. Like throughout our conversation so far, you've mentioned a few times communicating to the employees, communicating to the employees. So there must have been a real collaborative type of approach you took. It was, but the important thing is, is not to, as leader, is not to step in and do all the communication because yes. to a large part of the workforce at the front line, their leader is their immediate supervisor. Yes. So um, it's, and I do want to make a point of that, it's those people that need the greatest support from the ultimate leader on, on a site mm. um, because they're role modelling all the values uh, of the company what's what's right and what's wrong and if they don't get your ultimate support and uh, uh, and coaching to get that right then um, the workforce might trust me but it but they won't it won't change what they what's happening to them because the frontline leader is out of step well so you're saying bob that that frontline leader is such a critical leader to culture and unity and performance of the organization and your job, you always saw your job as how do I lead them to help them lead their employees extremely well. That's well put, yes, exactly. Wow. So Bob, I know we've been talking a lot about defence, but I know your, your career's been broader than defence. Do you mind chatting about food industry? I know you worked with Hazel Deans That's in correct. Victoria. And I know you brought in the same concepts of unity and just cause there. Do you mind explaining that so our listeners who might be in the food industry or other industries could gain from that also? Yeah. Um, Hazeldeans is based in, in Bendigo and the area, uh, small villages and towns around Bendigo are some of the lowest socioeconomic groups in, in, in Australia. Yet we had jobs and we found it very, very difficult to um, uh, fill those vacancies in a chicken processing plant wow. where you're actually taking live chickens and turning that into meat presented uh, on a tray in a supermarket shelf. So there was there's this perspective that, you know, it's dirty, crappy work, killing animals and cutting them up and, and all that sort of stuff. So once again, it was about how can I bring this this group together? And what I saw with manufacturing guys was, was a fantastic group of people doing a wonderful job uh, and capable of processing 100,000 chickens per day. Uh, so that's obviously right. 500,000 per week. Um, and uh, so, so it was like, okay, one chicken uh, feeds about four people, so about four meals in a chicken. So what we're doing is in a week we've, uh, we've provided two million meals. Right. Um, so you know, we're feeding regional Victoria. So um, wasn't a big flag waving exercise, etc. But in my regular communications with frontline people and with uh, um, the frontline managers and with the work workforce uh, in general, was just putting that importance there. Mm -hmm. um, and chicken was the cheapest source of meat protein, yeah. so it was not for the affluent. Hey, we're we're feeding mm -hmm. uh, the average Australian out there with with excellent meat and that was something that once again 
the team could rally around. I used to use that line all the time, how, how important our roles were here and, and what we were doing um, in the bigger picture, and that people could latch onto that. So I was only at that place for a short time, but you could see, I could feel the, the pride start to grow in what they were doing rather than thinking that they were just meat processes, blah, 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 but they were actually part of... Something bigger. Yeah. Bob, I've always seen it a few times in my career too where that just cause or that vision, so many different names for it, it can really win the hearts of people and motivate them. But I've seen it also create that unity because people stop looking at each other and blaming each other for challenges. They start more unifying and looking at that cause and heading for that cause. It seems to be such a powerful unity creator. Uh, yes, it, it does. And one of the most critical things, especially in a, say, a chicken processing plant, is not only getting the output, but basically that because that meal is going to be consumed by a person, you do not want uh, any bacteria or anything mm -hmm. like that's going to make them sick. And when you're feeding two million meals a week, that's the potential to, wow. uh, to do that. So basically, because they were focusing on the importance of that role, then the separation and the clean of, of contaminated equipment versus non-contaminated equipment, anything that food would touch in process, people were attuned to all of that. It wasn't mm -hmm. a set task anymore. It was part of achieving that ultimate goal. Um, so then they start coming back with ideas to say, you know, hey, we should do something here because this is happening. And they can get overlooked, but that starts to happen all the time. And that's continuous improvement. No formal program, it's just focusing on the bigger cause and people you know, work up some motivation towards that and they start finding their voice and talking. That's such great advice, Bob. So Bob, you've motivated me in my career and helped me. And I know you've helped so many others. But who are some people that inspired and motivated you over your career? And why were they an inspiration? I think uh, some of the people that um, uh, inspired me were, were once again uh, people that had, had an innate understanding of, of relationships. And, um, uh, and so they would take you aside. I remember as a trainee at uh, Australian Iron Steel at Port Kembla, which, which in those days had a workforce of 23,000 people wow. coming to work over a 24-hour period. And there was people from all over the world and they had enormous things to share from their backgrounds, etc. And I just count myself as fortunate to have bumped into one German tradesman that um, he had made furniture in his past life, so he understood that customer relationship but saw everybody that we were providing a service for in that was, was a customer and, and how to treat them. Mm. So once again, hey, that was very country. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe I sought those people out, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so that just adds to, to once again the, ins the inspiration. Other, other leaders, uh, once again, were always uh, focused. You know, Steve Milner, for, for example, who was a general manager of MM Kembla Products at Port Kembla, which was non-ferrous metals, was passionate about the support of, of the workforce. You know? Wow. Um, so a thing that he said to me, you know, as, uh, as a superintendent, an operations manager is, well, if you've got hit by a bus tomorrow, Everything had still happened at work, mm -hmm. so um, and that was a compliment. It, it wouldn't. It wouldn't stop. Yeah. So you better make sure that what you do 
adds adds greater value because mm. uh, uh, if you're not here, things will things will still happen. Yeah. So um, uh, you're very dispensable unless you're unless you're creating wow. this this Tough other love. other value for yeah. for who? Yeah. For the workforce. Yeah. Love that name, workforce. Yep. Um, so um, and another thing oh, I yeah. I picked up from. The, the military side of things and touching base with those in, in service as well was that um, they saw uh, different aspects of, um, of enhancing a, a weapon or a vehicle's capability. They would call that a force multiplier. Mm. So I took that back into the people field again and sort of said, well, okay, I, as a leader, have to be a force multiplier. Yeah. So that's, that's my value add and all the way down uh, those leadership roles to the front line, they have to be force multipliers yeah. because, you know, if they're not adding some, something extra, uh, then you can take them away and work will still happen. Yeah, wow. So then that, that focus on force multiplier, I can see how that really created this aspect of continuous improvement. But to achieve that, you had to create this unity and desire in that workforce them to want to grow and improve and develop yeah and um, with that that comes first mm. people will look at you know when I step into a new a new plant and uh, and I've stepped into lots of different plants in, in my career and they'll look at you and see the next general manager the next superintendents come in they've been there 20 years you've been there five minutes they can wait you out mm. <laughs> so uh, and they look at you that way and they're saying you might have all these great ideas, but you're not, I'm not going to let you influence me unless there's some trust yeah. there. So um, uh, the unity uh, is, a, is a great position to start developing that trust. And it's a bit like the, what we're using now, you'll hear that we're all in this together, um, is uh, once again is, is trying to, to create unity amongst amongst people so that they help and assist each other towards that goal. And Bob, just for our listeners, because our listeners are all over the world, in Australia there's a real tagline, language being used, that we're all in this together with COVID. We're yeah. all in this together and Australia needs to bind together and work together to get through. And that's been a real motivator. That's been a just cause yes. and yeah. a unifier of the Australian nation. And, uh, and when you get the right just cause, like we're part of the defence of the nation, we're saving lives, um, uh, it's easy for people to think we're all in this together because um, it's, it's that greater, greater good story. Uh, it's not like, oh, we're making great ammunition, so that guy's over there is not making ammunition, he's a maintenance guy or something like that. Yeah. But when you, when you go to that, that bigger story, that involves everybody's effort um, that unity is much easier to achieve mm, wow bob what are you working on now where are you at right now i'm back uh, working in the defense sector yeah so my role at the moment as a defense business advisor is working uh, with uh, the commonwealth to support the australian defense forces through ensuring that uh, businesses that are in the defence supply chain, so those sovereign capability businesses, uh, receive support uh, so that um, their businesses are robust, are resilient, so that when Australia Defence Forces calls on that supply chain, they're defence ready. 
Wow, that's another good cause right now, Bob. Yeah. So, Bob, I'd like to thank you for everything you've done for me and for others in your career. And for those people that want to reach out to you, how can they get in touch with you? Well, the best way is to get in touch with me is through LinkedIn. Yep. So um, uh, there are uh, a number of Bob Simpsons on, on LinkedIn, but uh, you'll see from the, what we've talked about today, uh, the history that's, uh, that's there in my profile. Yeah, and Bob, everyone is based in Brisbane, Australia. So you could look up Bob Simpson, Brisbane, Australia, and it will narrow the Bob yep. Simpsons down. It will, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Bob. It's been a pleasure. That's been a pleasure for me too. Thanks, Brad. I really enjoyed that conversation with Bob. Bob and I have known each other for a long time. The key points from that conversation that I took away were to really build teamwork and focus on that, and through that you can then achieve greatness. Key aspects I saw Bob take with that were even creating events outside of the workspace to help people get to know each other, to relate, to connect, and form that teamwork, but also the importance of a just cause and building a cause that is something more powerful than themselves to focus all the team on something outside them to then develop that unity, motivation, energy and drive. I think Bob's done that many times very well. Thanks again for the time, Bob. I really appreciate the knowledge and insights.